Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. I just have to tell you, I am so glad that you are joining us today, whether that's in person at one of our campuses or online. I just want you to know how much I appreciate you being here, especially today, because in the midst of just all the craziness and things that are going on, you know, COVID surge 2.0, first week of school starting back uh, tomorrow in our communities. I just know there's so much you could be doing, but I'm just glad that you are willing to take the time to join us. And my hope, truly my prayer is that our time together today would, yes, encourage you, but I'm praying that it would offer you some hope that it would allow you an opportunity to step out of the hurricane of circumstances and fears and politics and emotions and all of that and just focus on the God who is, who was, and who is to come and who is faithful to us. So I'm hoping and praying that today would encourage you, but I'm also hoping that it would challenge all of us to take a next step in our faith journey, to trusting him a little bit more. You know, author and leadership expert John Maxwell says that you will never change your life until you change the things that you do daily. That the secret of success is found in the daily routines of our lives. And while I would agree with that, that our daily habits determine the direction of our life, I believe that's true. But I also believe that when it comes to our spiritual life, it's not just the daily habits we develop, but it is the attitude with which we develop them. And that's really what this Habitude series is all about. We're exploring the heart behind the habits that change our lives. And so each week, we're looking at a different specific spiritual growth habit, a daily habit that we all need to develop in our lives, but we're also looking at our attitude with which we develop this habit. In fact, that's why our theme verse in this series have been these words from the psalmist in Psalm 119. Notice he writes, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. In other words, he's saying it's not just about performing the right statutes, doing the right things. It is about also having the right heart, the right attitude with which we do them. And so today we're going to look at this third habitude we need in our life, and that is connecting with authenticity, to connect with each other in authentic ways. I mean, obviously, developing the habit of connecting relationally with other believers is an essential part of growing spiritually, but we need to make sure that those connections are not just surfacey that there's an authenticity, there's an openness and an honesty that we have with each other in our relationships. I believe that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote these words in chapter 10. He said to the early church, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the writer is saying, as things around you get worse, as it seems like more and more of the world is falling apart, it's even more important to stay connected to each other. I found it interesting over this past year and a half that this particular passage was used frequently to chastise churches and pastors who suspended large group corporate worship during the heart of the pandemic. In fact, I even got a couple of emails quoting this verse, sort of saying, you're, uh, you're breaking the habit of meeting together. And the reason I found that humorous when I got those emails is because these words were written to Christians who didn't have worship centers and large Sunday morning corporate worship gatherings. These words were written to churches who met together in small groups in homes. And so what the writer is saying is stay in these authentic connections with one another. And here's how I know that's what he was talking about. Because of the reason why he said don't stop doing it. He's saying the reason you need to keep doing this is to spur each other on and to encourage each other in the tough times. And you can't really be spurred and encouraged in a big crowd, right? You can't do that. You can't be in authentic connection with people if you don't really know and love them. And you can't really know and love people unless you are willing to risk being open and honest with others. That's what I mean by authentic connections in our faith. And so here's what I want to do for just a few minutes. I want to look at some key truths about developing this habitude of authentic connections. And to help us do that, we're going to look at the very first church that ever existed in human history. It is the church in Jerusalem that started right after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. The reason I want to look at this first church, because this is the best example, the purest form of what it looks like to live out our faith in authentic community with each other. You'll find the story of the early church in the book of Acts chapter 2, fifth book of the New Testament after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be hanging out. Now before we look at this amazing early church, this first church, let me give you a little background information. As I said, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, his return to heaven, he left behind somewhere around 120 followers. There were 120 followers of Jesus, and he told them, stay together, stay in Jerusalem until I send you an advocate the Holy Spirit, the counselor. You stay together, and that's exactly what they did. For the next seven to 10 days, they just kind of hung out together, kind of taking care of each other. And then on the, the day of Pentecost, this Jewish celebration in the city of Jerusalem, they were gathered together, these 120 followers of Jesus, probably in a borrowed upper room, and something happened in that gathering that had never happened before. The Holy Spirit fell on that place, filled those believers with his presence, and they immediately 
went out to the streets to do a local outreach project. They poured out onto the streets of Jerusalem and miraculously, because Jerusalem was filled with Jews from all over the world, these people in the streets started hearing the gospel story in their language, being spoken by the followers of Jesus who didn't even know how to speak that language, but somehow miraculously, they heard the story of Jesus. And then Peter, the same Peter we talked about last week, stood up in the crowd and said, no, these people aren't drunk. It's noontime. Let me tell you what's happening. And he shares the gospel of Jesus. And in that one day, the Bible says, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and joined this little church. Now, now let that sink in a minute. From 120 people to 3,120 people in a moment, right? To a group of people who had no buildings, no budget, no really established leadership structure or strategy. I mean, think about this. Cedar Creek Church has kind of experienced that growth. We started our first public worship service in a rented daycare center, had about 100, a little over 100 people, and now several thousand people. But we had 26 years to prepare for that, to, to deal with that growth, to build buildings, to provide facilities, to establish leadership structure. They had none of that. All of a sudden, they go from a little country church to a mega church overnight. And yet, they were able to change not only the city of Jerusalem, but they were able to change the entire world in a very brief period of time. Why? Because in spite of all the things they didn't have, they had Jesus and they had each other and it was more than enough to change the world. And I believe it is still true for us as the church today. And so as we unpack this amazing story of the very first church, I believe it shows us four keys, four truths about developing authentic connections. So let's look at those. Number one, the first thing we need to understand about developing authentic connections is that it requires investing in a small group. In order to do this, you're going to have to be willing to invest in a small group of people. Why? Because you can't connect with a crowd. You can be a part of a crowd, and crowds are great. Crowds have energy. Crowds are great for celebrating. Crowds are great for working together to accomplish big things. But as human beings, we have a limited amount of time, energy, and relational margin. You're only ever going to be able to let a few people truly into your life. There's only a few, a small number of people that you can know and be known by. And that's exactly what the early church did. Look at verse 46. It said they worshiped together at the temple each day. And then notice, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. In other words, they, they met in large groups for corporate worship. That's what the temple courts were, these huge public gathering places that could hold thousands of people. But then they met in small groups in homes. Sound familiar? Sound like a church you've ever heard of before, a strategy to do large group corporate worship and small group authentic connections? Yeah, we didn't make that up. 
You know, Cedar Creek works the way Cedar Creek does, not because our founding pastor, Richard Swift, had this brilliant idea out of nowhere. It's always been just modeling what the church in its purest form has always supposed to have been. But look, it was not just going to a church meeting in somebody's house. It was about doing life together day in and day out. Why do I know that? Because Luke tells us that they shared their meals. Mark that phrase, they shared their meals. This is why this is a big deal. In our culture, having somebody over to your home for a meal, no big deal, right? It's kind of, you know, just hang out, eat a meal, last about an hour, hour and a half. You know, some people leave sooner, some people stay a little too long, but, but it's just kind of a surfacey thing. In the first century, in Middle Eastern culture, sharing a meal with someone was allowing that person into your inner circle. There was an intimacy in sharing a meal together in the home. I mean, you ever wonder why the religious leaders got so ticked off at Jesus for having meals with sinners and tax collectors? It's because he was allowing them into his life and he was entering into their life. He was having connection and community and authenticity with them. And the Bible says, as a church, that's what we are supposed to do. Connect with each other with that level of life on life authenticity. You ever wondered why they developed this strategy in the first church? I mean, how did they know that that is how they were supposed to function? I'll tell you how they knew, because they had seen it modeled by Jesus. Jesus always had large crowds of people around him, but very early in his ministry, from among that crowd, notice what he did. Mark chapter 3. It said, then Jesus went up on a mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus chose 12 and called them apostles. And then don't miss this. He wanted them to be with him. Jesus ministered to the multitudes but he did life in a small group. And in fact, read the gospels and see how much time and how much of his life Jesus shared with these 12 guys, right? He was not just teacher, instructor. These were guys walking through life together. You know, he called them out on their stuff. He loved them when they were struggling. He poured out his heart. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to pray, he tells them, my soul is deeply struggling. I'm hurting, guys. He was authentic in those relationships, and he modeled that for us. And we need it. If Jesus needed this, what would make you think you can do life effectively apart from being connected to a few other believers in genuine relationships. You guys know, I've spent the majority of my adult life trying to convince people that this is what they need, to be connected in a small group, in a home group. And can I just tell you right now, it has never been more difficult to do that, to convince people to do that, than it has been in the last five years. It's getting harder and harder, not because of the pandemic, 
pandemic has actually helped in some ways. What has been hard about it is that so many people are convinced they have authentic connections through their social media and online relationships. They've settled for a counterfeit form of community, and it's killing them, and it's killing our culture. I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti-online connections, but don't be fooled. They are not the same. Because we can hide, we can paint the pretty picture, right? There's nothing like being knee-to-knee, nose-to-nose, face-to-face, heart-to-heart with other people. But it's like people have been inoculated against community, right? And what I mean by that is every human being is created with a need to connect relationally with other human beings. That's part of being made in God's image. He's relational, we are too. And yet this counterfeit community is causing us to rationalize and think, I got it, I got people, I'm known, I know people, I encourage people. And we miss out on what we were created to experience. Look, we all need it. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 70 years. We all need it. And if you don't have it, you know what's coming next, Cedar Creek. Let us help you get it. Let us help you get connected to a home group in order to do life together. If you're in person on a campus, reach out before you leave. If you're watching online, click that link. Let us know. If you don't live near any of our campuses, we'll try to help you find a church that connects people in small groups in your area. And if that's not available, we'll help you start a home group right in your own community. We all need this. You cannot develop the habitude of connecting with authenticity with others unless you are willing to invest in a small group of relationships. But if you do, When you do, here's the return on that investment. Number two on your outline, it helps me grow spiritually. Developing authentic connections with other believers helps me grow spiritually. In fact, I would say authentic connections with other believers is essential for your spiritual growth. It is impossible to grow spiritually outside the context of authentic community with a few other believers. Why do I say that? Because our faith is not a religion with rituals. Our faith is a relational faith. Our relationship with God lived out in our relationships with others. And since that is essential to our faith, it needs to be a priority in our lives. It certainly was for the first church. Notice verse 42. It says these believers, they spent their time learning the apostles' teaching, sharing, breaking bread, and praying together. See, notice this is not a social club. This is not a supper club. This is not a group of great friends who enjoy getting together and doing fun things. It was all of those, but it was centered on God's word. These relationships were centered on the teachings of the apostles. That was their Bible at that time. And it was centered on sharing and helping each other live out their faith. It'll help you grow spiritually. You say, how, Phil? How is that possible. Many ways, let me give you three. Three ways that connecting in authentic relationships will help you grow spiritually. One 
is I can learn from others. I can learn from others. It's not just pastors, church leaders, and your favorite YouTube Bible teacher or podcaster that you can learn about following Jesus. We can learn from each other wherever we are in that journey. That's why notice what the Bible says, Colossians 3.16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. We have a lot we can help each other learn. The second reason it'll help me grow spiritually is I can see living examples. In these small, authentic connections, I can see living examples of what it looks like to live out your faith. Sometimes it's just hard to read something in the Bible and try to figure out how to do it and put it into practice. Or to hear something in a sermon on a Sunday morning and go, well, uh, that's great, I believe that, but how, do I, how does this work in my circumstance, in my situation? It's great to be able to look at a living picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's kind of like back when our kids were young and on Christmas Eve, Santa would sometimes deliver gifts that required assembly. I don't know, maybe the elves were on strike that year, but some of the things they didn't put completely together. So guess who had to stay up all night trying to assemble these things? And let me just tell you from experience, it was impossible for me to accomplish that just by reading the written instruction manual. First of all, it's hard to find just the English part of it, you know, every other language, right? But even when I found it and read it, but it was so much easier when I could connect what the written word said with a picture or a diagram or the image on the side of the box. That example, that visual helped me know what these instructions were. Same with God's word. These living, breathing manuals and pictures and diagrams. That's why Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, you need to be an example to all the believers in what you say, yeah, your words and your teaching, but also in the way you live. Look, so much of what I've learned about what it looks like to follow Jesus, I've learned not just from what I've read, but watching others live out their faith, not from a distance, but up close and personal in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then finally, the third way that these connections will help me grow spiritually is that I can be protected. In authentic connections, I can be protected. Isolation leads to rationalization. It is amazing how much I am capable of rationalizing when I don't talk about it to anybody else. How I can convince myself that bad decisions aren't bad or that sinful behaviors and thoughts aren't really that big a deal. If I don't share it, if nobody knows, if there's nobody there to go, Philip, dumb idea, danger will rob us. And But let me tell you this, isolation not only leads to rationalization, but what we've seen over the last couple of years is that isolation is killing people. People are dying because they are isolating. I'm not talking about from a virus. I'm talking about the pandemic of hopelessness and people are isolated and all of a sudden they go down this dark tunnel and they're able to convince themselves of things that are not true. We cannot live isolated and expect to be healthy. 
physically, spiritually, or emotionally. You know, the Bible says that Satan, our enemy, is like a prowling lion seeking those whom he may devour. Do you know how lions hunt? They separate individuals from the herd. They can't take on the whole herd, but if they can get an individual isolated and separated from the herd, it's an easy kill. And let me tell you, it is an easy kill for Satan when we isolate from one another. Notice Hebrews 3.13. It says, you must warn each other every day, not on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights in the home group. We've got to warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin. Not just talking about having acquaintances. I'm not talking about I got people in my life. We all got people. I'm talking about people who know enough about you and love you enough to tell you the hard truth when you don't want to hear it. Developing the habitude of connecting with authenticity means I got to invest in a small group of relationships. It's going to help me grow when I do. And then number three, it's going to give me support and encouragement. It gives me support and encouragement. So it's not just having somebody to watch your back. It's having people to help you pick up the pieces when it all shatters. Notice the early church, verse 44 and 45. It said, all these believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, look, you read that, and on the surface, that sounds an awful lot like communism, right? Everybody putting everything they've got into a pot and then being distributed equally among everybody, whether they worked or didn't work, right? That's, that's what we read in that some sort of socialistic utopia. But understand, this is not about a redistribution of wealth. This is about people helping people because they know what really helps. They know what people really need. And sometimes that's a handout and sometimes that's a loving swift kick in the backside. Developing authentic connections, here's what it does. It puts people in need in relationship with people who can truly meet that need. And as a believer, sometimes you're the giver and sometimes you're the receiver. And whether you're giving or receiving, in doing that with one another, we are bringing glory to God. Jesus said, as his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. It's inevitable. All of us today are in one of three places. I hate to be a Debbie Downer, and I don't want you to leave here discouraged, but here's the truth. You are either heading into a storm, in the middle of the storm, or just coming out of a storm and will eventually go back into another storm. That is the reality of life. Like it or not, you live long enough, you'll see this pattern. That is the reality. You don't have a choice about that, but you do have a choice whether you row your boat in that storm by yourself or whether you put some people in there who can support you and encourage you and row with you, especially on the days you can't row for yourself. Man, as your pastor, the greatest encouragement I could give you today is get over whatever you got to get over. Get over your pride, get over your fears, whatever it is, and build some authentic connections to help you 
Live out your faith. And if you do, here's the coolest thing of all. Number four, it is attractive to outsiders. Developing authentic connections is attractive to outsiders. Right? You remember last week, we talked about the habitude of reaching out with compassion, reaching out to share a message of hope with the hopeless people around us. Well, guess what? Our authentic relationships with each other are one of the best tools we have. Notice what happens with this early church. Now remember, they're doing life together. They're helping each other. They're meeting needs. And then notice verse 47, they're praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, not just the people at the church, but the whole community. And every day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. You understand what that's saying? The way they were living their lives, the way they were connecting with each other was so different than the culture around them. It caught the eye of the people around them. And many people said, I want that. I need that. I want to be a part of something like that. Can I just tell you now, maybe more than any other time, at least in my lifetime, the people in our community, they are starving for authentic connections. They, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Many of them are finally, maybe for the first time, discovering the emptiness of counterfeit online connections. Many of them are just sick and tired of being divided by politics and race and where you stand on the virus and the vaccine and your social staff. People are tired of being driven apart by all the fighting around them. And many of them are desperate just to connect. And let me tell you, as believers, as a church family, we have an unprecedented opportunity to live out in front of our community a better way. We and we alone, believers, the church, we and we alone have the ability to ignore the insignificant things that divide us and hold on to each other by the things that unite us, our love for Jesus and our desire to serve his kingdom. And when we do, if we're willing to truly live out these authentic connections with each other, I'm telling you, the people in our community and our country will be drawn to this like a moth to a flame. Not because I say so, but because Jesus said so. Notice John 13, 35. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That is my hope and prayer for you in your individual life. That is my hope and prayer for us as a church family. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this amazing example of what it looks like to live with authentic connections, but also what it does when we do this, the impact that it has. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us that we would honestly take a look at our heart and our lives and our behaviors and we would say, what's one step I can take today? What's one fear I can push through? What's one self-focused issue that has gotten me off track for the kingdom? Where have I drifted? 
Where am I no longer experiencing that authentic community that you called me to? And that we would not leave here today just going, yeah, yeah, another message about getting in a home group. But that we would leave here today with a fire burning deep in our souls, a desperate desire to make a difference in our community and that we would be willing to connect with each other in ways that draws them to the hope and the light that they are desperately in need of today. So Jesus, you gotta move among your people or nothing happens. So Lord, we are your people called by your name. We stand before you humbly today and say, have your way, move among us now. It's in your name we pray, amen.